0: Hello and welcome to episode four of Cyber Unplugged from SonicWall. I'm Charles, your host, and joining me for today's podcast are John Arson from SonicWall and Alistair Truitt, the founder and MD of Fortisat. This time we're looking at social engineering the risks it poses to organizations, how cyber criminals manipulate and exploit people using it and how organizations can mitigate against socially engineered attacks. First up Alistair, introduce us to your company Fortisat please.
1: Hi Charles, thank you, it's a great pleasure to be here. So I spent 20 years in the British Army uh, in the Parachute Regiment from uh, 1997 to 2017. Uh, and in that time, I spent uh, was uh, spent most of my time uh, on what we call emergency response operations uh, around the the world, uh, and also to some extent in the UK, and also working in the MOD on uh, UK on the MOD's contribution to UK national security. Um, I was lucky enough to be involved in things like Op Olympics as well, um, and so had had quite a quite a quite a breadth of experience. Um, Relevant to this piece, uh, we spent a lot of that time uh, conducting counterinsurgency uh, and looking at the change of threats to the United Kingdom over the last 10 years, which have really focused on uh, nation states and non-nation state organizations taking advantage of the growth of cyber and the access to personal information in order to conduct what we describe as sub-threshold threats. Um, So threats that are happening to you all the time, but are slightly difficult to understand and attribute and not easy to to, to respond to. And social engineering has become a a factor of that. I left in 2017 and uh, started my own company, Fortisat, which is a a national security advisory and business intelligence company that looks at uh, human network intelligence and offers advice to governments on emerging technologies that can enhance their national security. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: You're very welcome. Um, So, John. Can you tell us exactly what social engineering is and why it's relevant in today's threat landscape, please?
2: Great question, Charles. Simply put, it's a form of attack that targets the human emotion and not the logic. And that makes it one of the most difficult forms of attacks to defend against. Typically, an organization will have defensive measures against phishing, ransomware, malware, all these types of attacks. But when social engineering is used to try and deploy or to try and attack in that way, all of that is rendered powerless. In fact, if you look at the history of the internet, which is around 30 years old, and we look at the very first ransomware attack that actually also used social engineering, this was in 1989, where a doctor had organized an AIDS convention and used this database of physical addresses to send over floppiness, saying this is going to help your research, etc., etc., and it was a badly written program. In the sense that after 90 boots, everything was encrypted, but not really encrypted. It was just the file names that were encrypted. And even worse, um, the actual key to decrypt was in the program itself, and quite easy to to figure out. Um, he eventually was arrested uh, and found or deemed unfit to stand trial. But the point is, the first form of a cyber attack, albeit using sail mail, where social engineering was used. And in the decades that followed, you know, we saw all sorts of examples of where uh, engineering actually led to an attack being successful. Take, for instance, the I love you one, um, 10 years, 20 years to the day, where people had an irresistible urge to click on a mail that says, I love you. Right? Maybe it's the I love you movie, or you've got male movie a few years before that, or it's just, again, the human emotion. Hey, what's this about? Right? And if you realize that at that time, the internet adoption in the US is around 43%, and in the rest of the world, it was between 15 and 20%, even then, it managed to spread across the world in under five hours. Yeah? So it's always going to be some human characteristic that's being targeted. Like, for instance, the desire to stay current in security. You visit a website, you see there, you get a notification, hey, your browser's out of date, click here to update it and get the latest security update. Of course I want to, so I'm going to click it. Or you can see, you know, a mail saying, hey, uh, get the latest and greatest about COVID-19 or uh, here, click here to contribute in finding a cure for COVID-19, et etc. Et and In that sense, we as... Victims, I'd almost want to say, uh, or the ones being attacked are actually being profiled on a daily basis. Attackers just need to look at what is the talk of the day. And this can be different from region to region. I can imagine, for instance, Italy and Spain, it might be about football. um, And, you know, in a global, uh, it might be about global warming or COVID-19, et cetera, et cetera. There will always be a talk of the day that appeals to a small or larger group of people that attackers will target and use to try and trick people. Um, into d- doing what the attacker wants, either clicking on a link or clicking on a photo. Because at the end of the day, next to all this, we are all essentially in the clicking business. It's something that someone said to me a number of weeks ago. And if you take a moment and stand and look at that, it's actually very true. I mean, can you imagine if you'd all of a sudden get a directive that you're no longer able to click? You can't open mails, you can't click, et etc. et cetera, right? Um, so we, we have to be able to click.
1: The problem is, is as old as time, as long as there have been two people interacting with each other, there's been the possibility that one is trying to achieve an advantage. Uh, and actually, when I'm teaching younger people, uh, I do quite a lot of teaching to secondary school age students um, from time to time. And I show them a parabolic curve, um, which I call the, the competition continuum, um, which shows them that really it, that the only time they're not really in competition with anyone is when they're a single child. Um, as soon as a sibling arrives in the world, there is uh, what we all know very well from our homes, the, the competition between people as they vie to, 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 to get advantage. And actually what, what, what's going on there is, is, is an analysis by one party of the other as to what their strengths and weaknesses are, what their likes and dislikes are, and then taking advantage of those as they sort of come into activity on a daily basis. And of course, as you, as you grow up through life and become a professional person, you take those skills into the professional workplace, and, and the military is perhaps the perfect example of where one 's doing that with reasonably high stakes, um, very looking very closely into what you think your adversary 's uh, emotional state is in terms of their ability to think clearly. What they're perhaps susceptible to Um, but actually that goes on very much in the business world as well as people seek to do it for both positive reasons to appeal to customers and to do well by their customers uh, but also for uh, competition and adversarial reasons as they look at the competition in their marketplace and seek to do better uh, from it. Um, What's changed is the introduction of uh, of of technology over the last 30 years and where this was once something that we all did, but, but I don't think people really thought about it as a tool for advantage to somebody else's disadvantage, unless you're in the business of, of, of something like war. Um, for the majority of people, it tended to be something that happened. Whereas the advent of technology has, has made all the information, the personal information about what people like and what they do, uh, available to many, many other people, where previously it was... It, tended to be an activity between one person and another or one person and a small group. Um, now, technology has allowed that to flip on its head. And of course, one individual can hoover up vast quantities of personal information, which they can then use, and they can simultaneously deploy that against vast numbers of people at the same time. And I think that's, that, that's interestingly what's changed.
0: John, just, just tell us a little bit more or give us some examples. I know there was the I love you and then more recently the WannaCry cry." ransomware attack they're all social engineering as well aren't they
2: absolutely it's always going to be about getting someone to to click something one of the examples that i that i found at one point is a quote from a newspaper how do you get 12 million dollars from a university well you just ask them so what happened here is that they were building this large auditorium 100 and something million whatever it was and already for months on a daily basis there were multiple dozens of emails flying around with numbers here, numbers there, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So between this normal, there was one additional email saying, "Hiya, by the way, we've changed bank. Please change it to this bank address details. Here's a signed copy of our CFO." And twelve million dollars was wired over as part of a normal payment process. What people didn't actually realise is that one particular mail wasn't normal it was abnormal the account had been hacked long story um and it wasn't of course the company itself it was an attacker and it can be small it can be like that it can be as small as someone having to spend losing two thousand dollars because they believe they've been selected for mystery shopping and all those kind of things right but all of these cases they take something that appeals to the recipient whatever it is you know i want to be a mystery shopper I want to be helpful, etc. etc. That again makes it the most difficult thing to defend against. In fact, at one point I was reading an article in the CNN where this former FBI director said that it's much more easy to target a human being than it is to put time and effort into breaching a security system. And to me, there's a lot of truth in that. At the end of the day, um, us humans are, you know, continue to be the weakest link. And I sometimes jokingly say, you know, none of us are Mr. Spock from Star Trek. Anyway, it's an individual <laughs> that had no emotions, just logic, stuff like that. So, you know, but unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, thank goodness, um, none of us are. And that means we are all vulnerable. The, the,
1: the position doesn't have to be too, too bleak, though, John, because I, I think you're absolutely right. But in, in, in many ways, pe- people are the weakest link, and there are some good strap lines out there um, about uh, about what that 's the case but actually there 's also the case that it, that it is not too difficult to educate people to, to, to these traps, and actually people can then be the most alert as well because machines will of course only be alert for the things that clever coders have managed to, to, to steer them to look for. Um, but this is a very emotional business about how people are manipulated to do something that somebody else wants them to do. Um, and therefore, human beings actually can be the most alert tool, which is why I think there's a really interesting growing part of this industry, um, which complements the, the pure technology businesses, which are those businesses that train and educate and help to some degree monitor in the, best, in the most positive ways people's behaviour around clickbait. Um, I, I was speaking to someone who was selling a house the other day, actually, and he was very proudly telling me that his house was the most clicked through house on, on right move which is I think is, is a really good example of exactly what you're saying about this clicking business um, and and that's exactly in in, in, in one example of, of the, what I think of the two types of social engineering that go on here um, where where attackers are trying to do something for a volume audience and therefore trying to look for a relatively small action by the intended targets but done by lots and lots and lots of people they they're, they're fundamentally looking to try and get people exactly as you say to just click uh, and I think what's interesting is they, there are two fundamental areas that they draw on to make that possible. First of all is people's likes and dislikes. Uh, and I saw an example, which I thought was pretty sophisticated a couple of years ago, where it was no longer a character in the, in the link um, that, was the, that was the malware. Um, it was a pixel inside a photograph. Um, and so the attackers were trawling the internet and social media to find people who were really interested in a particular type of animal and, and, and were like, almost certain to click to, to see a better photograph of, of that animal, unknowingly opening a photograph uh, in, in which one of the pixels of very many um, was itself a, a portal in, 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 into, the, um, into the attack inspector, which is a, a really interesting bit of enticement um, for for people. The other side is, is, is the click side. The other area that um, people will look for, I think, rather than just what their likes and dislikes are, is to understand the cycle of human alertness and there are certain types of day when people will be over busy, and therefore they're less alert to something like this, and will, will probably click on it. Um, and there are times of day when people, of course, are very tired. Um, and so organisations looking to defend themselves against these things can look at those different areas of their employees' emotional attractions to certain things, uh, and the cycle of the daily activity to, to understand when they may be more vulnerable.
0: Well, we'll get on to exactly what we can do to help protect ourselves a little later in the episode. First of all, John, congratulations on getting a Star Trek reference in so early. That's brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on, we've already sort of started talking about it, Alistair, but what threat does uh, social engineering pose to organisations then?
1: Well, I think um, it's a very wide threat surface um, for organisations. And I talked a, a little bit a moment ago about perhaps two areas and that there will be more but for, for simplicity of thought I, I think of it in terms of largely two areas that people go for. One is the, the relatively small um, focused attack which is going for a volume response um, and that will require um, uh, in that an organisation is likely to find that someone is seeking to, to, to attack lots of different doorways people clicking on a, on a link as a doorway um, in order for them to gain really just one into the system and once they're behind, once they're inside the system, let through by someone who, who so to speak, has the key um, to the outside wall, it's then much easier for them to navigate inside the network. Um, and they're likely, in my experience, therefore, to, 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 to be looking to harvest large amounts of sensitive data that they can use to then queue up the next set of attacks. So we've, we've seen many examples over the last few years uh, including in the last few days, of organisations um, having the personal details, usernames, passwords, dates of birth, uh, sometimes even banking information, account numbers, relating to partic- particular people, and those are produced into very large spreadsheets of information, and then those lists of information are then traded between people, who then sometimes use them straight away in order to launch another attack to harvest more information, or to ask for, for, for ransom, or sometimes they're sat on for a rainy day in the future. And I know of one. Uh, Not very long ago, um, where a company that was involved in producing some new code um, for uh, an emerging software um, had a portion of that code uh, stolen uh, from a disgruntled employee. Uh, He was manipulated uh, into accidentally giving it up. Um, But what was interesting is it wasn't used very quickly. Uh, The the company did become aware that it had been taken from them, largely because the disgruntled employee had the really great sense of mind to recognise that even though they felt... Um, hard done by by their employers they also had probably been taken advantage of when they spoke up and that's a really interesting thing we might come to which was a great response by that individual which got the company involved in looking for what had gone which was quite tough for them because the the attackers weren't highlighting it Um, but we were able to 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 find what had been taken but what was obvious was that the attackers were sitting on that code waiting for the launch of the new product whereupon they would have already had a, a backdoor inside it which is really interesting. The, the second area, which um, I think is emerging much more recently, that has been in the press a lot recently, is actually a much more sophisticated and targeted approach where the outcome attackers are looking for um, is more sophisticated. They're not just trying to ha- harvest data. What they're trying to do is to shift opinion. Uh, and we've seen this quite a lot in respect of, of elections in, in various countries around the world in the last few years. Uh, and again, the, 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 the vehicle that's used to do that Um, is is the mass harvesting of information about people, their likes, their dislikes, their opinions, and particularly measurement of how close they are in in the opinion they're at at the moment to a new opinion that would deliver a different outcome in something like an election. And that then is used to deliver messaging. So it's not hacking into people's systems, but it's nonetheless messaging on a fairly large scale, but against very targeted groups in order to push their opinion in a certain direction to deliver a different outcome. although that is not... criminal in the same way that stealing personal data is, it does have a dark context that we've seen in in, in recent years and it's definitely social engineering. So John may have some, some interesting thoughts on both of those distinct areas. So I do
2: agree with you that it's indeed absolutely possible to change people's minds. I mean I've seen enough you know documentaries and read up about it and it kind of reminds me again a bit of history where in the olden days, you know, information is really scarce, uh, typically state-controlled, and that way it was quite easy to influence people's opinions. Um, Mm -hmm. But at that time, you could really easily recognize that. And today, you can't. I mean, one of the examples I saw is, for instance, in one particular part uh, where there were states where people were not sure, um, then they would see sort of positive videos on one individual, um, and negative videos on another individual. You know, it's, it's, it's subtle, um, but that sits in the mm-hmm. brain. And to be quite honest, it actually also reminds me, I'm, I'm not all about history, but still, there used to be uh, uh, an, an advert, I think in the 80s or the 90s, uh, when one political party uh, was making a video saying something like, you labour, new danger, really subtly trying to influence the way people uh, look at things. The internet is such an incredible wealth of information uh, for, for anyone to want to either spray and pray, or so just, you know, uh, get as many uh, endpoints or targets as they, as they want, uh, or to completely tailor it into such a way, you know, that it's almost impossible to, uh, to figure out that it's, it's, you know, too good to be true. And, we, and we've, we've
1: seen examples just in the last couple of years that range from um, people harvesting data to use in, our, in in other circumstances. That tends to be the, the more simple end of it, through to proper ransomware. People's systems being shut down uh, without them being, uh, and the only way to get them back is is, is is to pay a ransom. And often that is in in Bitcoin or some other crypt, 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 cryptocurrency, which which adds another level of complexity and difficulty to it. Um, we've seen attacks on people's reputation as well. You, you get you know proper messaging campaigns going out. Um, which are fundamentally misinformation about somebody in order to undermine their public reputation, whether it's because they're in public office or whether because they're successful in a particular sector. Um, And in in some cases, we've actually seen um, people um, fabricating reports about the movement around the world of private aircraft um, that that are themselves associated to a prominent individual in order to um, give up information about where his business interests are so that his competitors can take advantage of that. Um, and some of those were real movements being forecast early, so he was he never quite had the advantage he thought he did, um, and some of them were actually completely fabricated. Uh, and as I said, we've seen perhaps the most extreme examples um, where you know fairly significant campaigns are being done uh, in recent years to try and steer voter um, opinions on on certain things. I, I think it's important for us to note that to some degree. We shouldn't talk about this in just a criminal um, context, which, although we haven't used that term yet, there is an essence to it in in everybody's appreciation of social engineering by cyber means. Because to some degree, one's always been involved in social engineering for for positive senses, which is about organisations with a good, positive message to send and a good outcome to deliver, persuading people to get behind their message. And social media and technology has exponentially improved the opportunity for campaigns and uh, non-governmental organisations and charities and many other uh, groups to get difficult messages across to large numbers of people quickly. But of course, I think perhaps the fundamental reason for us having this conversation is that just as much as it's a force for good, it's, it's a force that's being used to present difficulties to people. And I think this is something that governments need to increasingly be aware of for their own security. It's not really a private sector and individual thing anymore. Um, Increasingly, foreign states, large criminal organizations who want to uh, destabilize, uh, even in subtle ways, governments or particular parts of governments can increasingly identify groups of people who work in a particular government department uh, and undermine that in many different ways, whether it's shutting systems down or whether it's spreading misinformation to do with them. Uh, And I think that's a really interesting area of it. And I'd like to see governments starting to pay really close attention to how they train and equip their employees to be aware of those threats and and deal with them. It's no longer the domain of the security-focused government departments to worry about these things, I think.
0: So you've talked a lot about manipulation there, Alistair, and and how essentially you are just preying on human vulnerability. But how exactly are they doing it? Or, Or perhaps the better question is, how do they get us to do it for them?
1: So in the traditional world, you know, people uh, will will be familiar with spy novels. And often what what you do is a great deal of preparation done behind the scenes by one party to learn a great deal about the audiences, the population involved in a target area, and then to zone in on a particular person who they consider to be vulnerable to a type of approach. And of course, all of us have lots of likes and dislikes and are therefore vulnerable to certain types of approaches. So the attacker will be sat there, and depending on what outcome they want to achieve, they'll be thinking, okay, which population is going to be interested in something I can get them interested in? And it depends what material they've got in their hands to use in order to get people interested in stuff. But fundamentally, what they'll be looking for is is to be able to demonstrate material to people that people are going to show a great deal of interest in. Um, That will likely be towards extroverts and people with a great thirst for digital information, which I don't think are always the same, but there is a correlation between the two. And all of us will know whether we stop and think um, before clicking, much like you get taught to stop and think before crossing the road, or whether we have such muscle memory that we click very, very quickly, whether it's on images or, or links. Uh, and the attackers will be looking. And of course, the internet, the, uh, the analytics part of the internet um, has delivered so much information available to people, again, which is often used in positive ways, but is available for negative reasons, where people can start to see people who post many more times an hour are obviously people who have a thirst for digital information, have an inclination to share. So in, in the first stage of an attack, those are the sorts of things people are looking at. And then in the second, they're then looking about how to, how to insert the abnormal into the normal. The, 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 the link that's got malware in it or the picture with a, with, with, with a virus in, in, a, in a pixel or, or some form of code uh, in it that isn't what it seems is the abnormal. And what they're trying to do is insert that into the normal routine of people. And in in that case, they'll be looking to either hide it within the noise, so send a whole load of information that is reliable and familiar to people, but within it is something abnormal that they can't really see or are likely to gloss over. Often in links, the, the bit that's wrong may be that a capital... Uh, a capital letter in a name might become a, a small letter in a name, or an o is replaced with a zero. There are various different ways in which people can make something look normal, but actually it isn 't but also, as I said earlier, looking at the times of day, things are sent out to try and prey on people 's um, alertness um, and I think John may have seen some examples uh, may have seen some examples of this um, there, there are lots
2: about you know we 've spoken about this quite a bit, and that is never stop telling, never stop training. Uh, you do all those things that you can do um, because as you said earlier on you know a machine's got machine learning etc cetera, etc cetera, but at the end of the day it's not the human brain uh, so you can't program a machine to look at for instance you know a true story um, my wife got a uh, uh, she, she's on ebay uh, and at one particular point for something that she was had put on she actually got an offer exactly where she started the bidding should start and typically um, you know, she'll say, start bidding from X amount. Um, and then mm. people coming with like a quarter, or whatever it is, right? And this individual offered the exact amount uh, that she said. Yeah, that can't be true. Something fishy here, right? And it was because not not so long afterwards, um, the marketplace uh, the, the people actually said, hey, you know, this comes from a known individual, you know, does uh, scamming and stuff like that. And making people aware, sharing examples, and uh, continuing you know to to raise alertness uh, continuing to tell people it's not only a problem you know it shouldn't be on your mind only when it happens to you or only when it happens to your company your aunts whatever it is right it should always be on your mind you should always have that alertness just like you said you know we should actually be embedded with you know no one would cross the road without looking left and right or right and left depending what country you're in right Um, And we should have the same sort of uh, instinct when it comes to clicking things, opening things, actually also when it comes to giving out information Mm. in general.
1: It's such a difficult place for people because the ability to do business, is everyday business, is so much online nowadays. The logical thing is to say, well, I'm not going to share my personal information, but that's literally impossible now. And one has to get on and live life easily and enjoyably. And that means that you can't be getting up every morning, spending every second of the day trying to to not give up a shred of personal information. Um, to people. So I think that the reality is I try and encourage people to say, hey, you can't live life like that. You've got to be positive and outgoing and enjoy things, in which case you can't be looking at life through a purely defensive lens. So it's better now to start thinking about what is most important and defend that, and then w- worry less about some of the other stuff. Um, try and swim with the tide. You know, life is online these days, uh, increasingly. In fact, I think a number of the security organizations uh, increasingly think um, actually hiding in the shadows now shines a light on you that's a really interesting concept, um, which makes it incredibly difficult for those people who are charged with the really difficult security activities of defending the nation, defending organizations and enterprise security. And actually it serves their purpose not to be known by attackers so that they can't become vulnerable. But on the other hand, you know, they've got to exist somewhere. So if if they're difficult to find, then maybe that's because they're trying to hide. Um, So that presents a a really difficult challenge um, for a lot of people. So I think nowadays it's about focusing hard on what is most important and putting really strong defences around that Uh, and then being clear about what may be vulnerable, but it isn't the end of the world. If it gets taken advantage of, you can change it quickly and and move on. And I think that's an interesting place for us to start to take conversation to with people.
0: I'm glad you said that though, Alistair, about just concentrating on the things that you can control and that you can't go through the day you know waking up in the morning worried about where you could be open to an attack or something we do have to actually just look at the things that we can control so john with that in mind how can organizations people listening to this now how can they defend against such
2: attacks well so what i was saying is indeed you know never stop educating people which however mm. you do it either you know with a company within the culture um, and just like alice has said you know, we shouldn't all start to hide in caves and stuff like that. Uh, just live life and accept, you know, things that you do in, in a normal daily routine could at some point be used against you. But don't worry about that. Just live your life, but be aware. Try and be aware. You know, when when am I giving up? What kind of information? Why am I giving it up? That kind of thing. Uh, when you are going to click something, you know, do I really think it's coming from within the organisation? Um, and also, especially consider there's an, a growing amount of vulnerable points. I mean, for instance, COVID-19 led to hundreds of millions of laptops and desktops around the world uh, being put to work extra uh, for people to work from home. But It doesn't stop there. Mm. Um, lots and lots of people have smart speakers, smart lamps. You know, I know I started with that not so long ago. I think it's great. Um, and, and many, many more people have that. And every single item that you put online actually increases your attack surface. Right, so because everything, single thing that you switch on nowadays, um, wants to go online and therefore can be found. Therefore, can become a blip on someone's screen. Right? Um, I think that someone once the other day said, you, you can't defend everything. It's like with football, you can't put everyone there in front of the goal and say like, wow, you know, now we're not going to lose. Okay, but then you're not going to win either. So you have to find something <laughs> and even just have a, a multi-layer protection, and and you focus on what's most important. So, for instance, you know, a a layered and balanced approach is what we say. So if you look at the fact that there are lots of known threats, you know, whichever security company it is, they find and are able to neutralize new threats on a daily basis, whether it's vulnerabilities in applications, operating systems, or just plain, you know, pieces of malware, written or slightly modified. Because once it's slightly modified or once it's not yet discovered, it's an unknown threat. Right, So whatever security solution you choose, layered security solution, I can't emphasize that enough, we feel it should also be really, really well-equipped to knowing the unknown. So the unknown threats, the threats that have not yet been found. I know I'm repeating myself, that not yet found malware or slightly modified malware that doesn't match existing signatures. New unfound vulnerabilities, the true meaning of zero day, those kind of things. Ideally, you should be able to control and monitor and view all of these solutions from a single point um, so that you don't get siloed um, and you can do also uh, more with less. In, in fact, again, when, when Alistair and I were discussing and talking about this uh, session today, a great analogy from uh, Alistair was you know, the more people you employ to do something, the more potential points of failure you have. Right? So you want to choose a system that you can manage ideally from a single point. Um, do more with less, that way having less points of failure um, and also being able to quickly see where in your defense something is going wrong and where you might need to uh, uh, take action. And naturally, all of this should be combined in the scalability jacket, whether it's five users, 500, 5,000, doesn't really matter. It shouldn't make a difference. The only difference it should be, mm-hmm. um, is that, for instance, the hardware should be different.
1: I think John's really really got it there it 's that marriage of that two things, both the, the technical and the human side and I think a lot of investments got into the technical side over the years uh, and actually the the, the improvements uh, into the sort of boundless approach to cybersecurity that flexes with you wherever you go, um, that goes into your home, that travels with you when you travel abroad, um, <laughs> that goes onto all of your devices, whether it's your smartphone, your desktop or your laptop at home. Um, that's, that's a really important way of looking at it. So that wherever anyone travels with advice in hand, that security bubble is going with them um, and not letting go of them. Um, But also focusing on the on the development of people. And I think this is some place that's very positive to see how much is going into schools these days. And it's partly about the protection of vulnerable children, their safeguarding. But in, in, in that being delivered well, what children are doing is beginning to grow up with an understanding that social connectivity through social media is fantastic, but it comes with some risks. And these things are better learned younger. Um, and so that, that, but that should continue through life and we want to certainly see governments and companies investing in that kind of education for their employees and it's not a soft and fluffy thing it's for the purpose of protecting those things that are important to them but I think there's some really good work going on uh, a lot in the private sector some fantastic companies focusing on that uh, and the ones that are doing really well are the ones that present a product whereby the, the delivery of that human behavior education isn't doesn't become and the burden because as, as John just rightly said, the more employees you've got, the more potential points of failure you've got to a, to a socially engineered attack. The more defending that becomes a burden, a constant emotional burden to people, actually, the more likely it is to be successful. So the ability to deliver these things in a continuous, low intensity and positive way is really important to helping people be successful. But there are great products out there. And the more this conversation is happening, and people are taking this conversation into homes and private life rather than it being seen as a professional concern, uh, the better place we're going to be to deal with it on an individual corporate and and national level, Charles.
0: Thanks very much, guys. I think that's a great place to end this week's podcast on. Thanks to John and Alistair for joining me for this episode of Fiber Unplugged. For more information on social engineering attacks, you should go and watch John's webcast for SonicWall, Mindhunter. The threat is Mm -hmm. coming from inside the house. You'll find a link to that in the show notes. That's it for this episode. Make sure you join us next time for more Cyber Unplugged.